Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. You glad to see the sun out? Yeah, man. I, I don't know about you guys, but our yard is like completely soaked. It's like a, kind of like a sponge, and it's soaked up as much as it can from all the days of rain you have, and you step in and just like immediately soaks your foot. So I'm just excited about the sunshine. Uh, excited to be here with you guys. If you guys don't know me, if I've never met you before, my name is Caleb Nichols. And uh, my wife, Jen, and I and our four kids, four kids, we live uh, just a couple miles away in Norton, Ohio. And um, I actually grew up, uh, so most of my childhood in the Barberton area. So my, my father and his family, they're from like the hills of West Virginia. They call it the Hollers. I don't even, I don't even know what that means exactly. They're from like the hills or Hollers of West Virginia. And um, they, were, they were farmers out there. And then years ago, my dad was just a little boy. They made their way kind of out to Barberton area to work in the factory. So I, I grew up in the Barberton area. I graduated from Barberton High School. I uh, spent most of my childhood and then a lot of my young adult life in Barberton. So Barberton has a very like, special place in my heart. I'm excited about uh, the Barberton campus and all the things that God is doing like in and through you guys and everything God's doing here. As you guys know, we, we're in a series. We're in the middle of a series called The Five Assumptions About God and Why They're Wrong. And uh, we heard John talk about it just a little bit. And we're following along in Pastor Jeff Bogue's books. If you don't know Pastor Jeff Bogue, he's the senior pastor of all of Grace Church. So uh, Grace Church has multiple campuses and multiple locations. There's a bunch in the Akron area, one out in Medina. We're even doing some stuff out in Atlanta, Georgia now, which is just like crazy exciting. Uh, and Pastor Jeff wrote this book called The Five Assumptions About God and Why They're Wrong. And that's what we're kind of going through and tracking through in this series. So a few weeks ago, when we kicked off our series, Pastor Jeff Martell who is the campus pastor at this campus, at the Barbenden campus, he, he, he had this conversation with us about this false assumption that somehow we need to like work harder to make God happy. And then last week we talked about the assumption that all God wants us to do is to go to church. And then this week we're going to be talking about this assumption, this false assumption that God will never be happy with us. That somehow, like no matter what we do and no matter how hard we try, that God will never be happy. And we assume that God is up in heaven and he's looking down and somehow he's like already disappointed in us. And, and we're trying to like maybe like earn his love or earn his appreciation or things like that. But that's actually not true. It's like not what the Bible says about God. And we read the Bible and we read what God actually says about himself in the Bible. We see that God is this loving heavenly father who interacts with us much more like a good earthly father would than like somebody who's looking down from heaven judging us waiting for us to screw up all the time. And when I, when I think of this idea of this like false assumption that God will never be happy with me or like think of people in my life that I've like tried to please and I haven't been able to like make them happy, it reminds me of my time in the military. Um, so I don't know if you guys have been in the military or not. A, I know a few of you probably have. Um, but when you go in the military, there's this thing right at the beginning that everybody knows about called basic training, right? You guys heard of that before? And so I was like 18, 19 years old, and I was a little bit, little bit skinnier than I am now when I was in the military. And I was getting ready to go to basic training. So I was like an 18, 19-year-old kid. I was getting ready to go off to Fort Jackson, a place I'd never been to before, and go through this experience called basic training. And the only thing I really knew about basic training, or, or boot camp, the Marine Corps calls it, is I had seen a couple movies about it, right, with these really mean guys called like drill instructors or drill sergeants. We'll pop a picture of them up on the screen. But it's like this idea of like a drill sergeant or a drill instructor. That's them right there. These guys that are like super mean and they're just going to like kind of torture you. So I'd seen these movies. And by the way, drill sergeants are exactly like what you see in the movies. That's, like, that's exactly what they're like. And I remember I was getting ready to go off to Fort Jackson to do my basic training. I was just, you know, very nervous. I was a kid getting ready to do that. 
And I remember we get to Fort Jackson, and the first thing we did there was we just did like what they call it in-processing, so it was kind of boring. We filled out a bunch of paperwork, kind of signed our lives over to the military, and uh, we got a whole bunch of shots. I don't even know what they were giving us, all these shots. We we're just doing like the in-processing part. And then we were at one part of Fort Jackson. There was about 100 of us, and they called us recruits. We weren't allowed to be called soldiers yet. They called us recruits, and we're getting ready to go from that part of Fort Jackson where we did our in-processing to the main part of the base where we were actually going to do our training. Right? So I remember, I remember this morning like, pretty clearly. We woke up like really, really early in the morning, and they brought all of these like, old, rickety old school buses out. And uh, they had to start loading up in these like 100, 100 recruits up in, these, up in these school buses. So we get in the school buses, we all sit in our seats, and then it's kind of weird because it's like 100 degrees outside, and the drill starting to start walking around like closing the windows in the bus. They're going around like lifting the bus windows up, you know? And what's really weird is the windows were completely blacked out. So they're like spray painted black, so it gets really, really dark in this bus. There's like 100 of us, like nervous kids, getting ready to enter basic training in all these buses. And then the drill sergeant walks up to the front of the bus, and all of a sudden, man, it's like everything changed. And he starts screaming at us, and he's like, put your heads down, put your heads down, put your heads down. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, this is getting real now. <laughs> this is changing. We're actually entering basic training. So we all like, put our heads down. We're in this like, really dark bus. We don't know what's happening. And they drive us over to the part of Fort Jackson where our training is going to take place. So we get to the place where the training is going to be, and again, the drill sergeant gets back up and he starts screaming at us. He's like, get off the bus, get off the bus, get off the bus, and saying all of these not very nice things to us and calling us these really bad names. <laughs> and um, so we're, we're running off the bus as fast as we can, like tripping over each other, we're nervous. We get off the bus, and then the things we brought with us were these big green army duffel bags. You guys ever seen those before? These green duffel bags that can hold a crazy amount of stuff, right? And each one of us, all 100 of us recruits, each had two big green ar army duffel bags. So we th they had us like start throwing those off of the bus, right? Just getting all these duffel bags and throwing them in these piles out in this big kind of like parking area. So we're throwing all these duffel bags out. And then after doing that, the drill sergeant gets up in front of everybody. And he's like, all right, you got three minutes. He's like, you got three minutes. And what I want you to do in these three minutes, I want you to take all of these duffel bags. There's 100 of us. Each of us have two duffel bags. There's 200 duffel bags all scattered all over the place. And he's like, I want you to take these duffel bags in three minutes. I want you to get them perfectly lined up in alphabetical order, and I want you to stand at attention by your duffel bags. Ready? Go. So we start scrambling. We're running as fast as we can, trying to organize all of these duffel bags that were just in piles all over the place. Like trying as hard as we can, trying to like please these drill sergeants, doing the best we can. And at the end of three minutes, I'm pretty sure it was worse than when we started. We like, it was like an epic failure, right? We were all, we were nervous. We didn't know what was going on. Uh, we're all like all hyper, so we made it even worse. So then the drill sergeant says, okay, you didn't do it in three minutes, we'll do this. This time I'll give you two minutes. You try and do it in two minutes. Ready, go, starts the clock. And we're going as fast as we can, trying to organize everything. And again, like total epic failure, worse than before. And then he's like, okay, you didn't do it in three minutes. I gave you two minutes, you didn't do it then. How about one minute? I'll give you one minute. Ready, go. <laughs> and again, we're trying as hard as we can because... Kind of in that situation, in basic training, you look at these drill sergeants almost as like demigods, almost as like little gods. Like you want to be, be like them like so desperately because they're, they're just like awesome and amazing. You want to be like them. And again, he gave us one minute. We failed again. And then he's like, all right, get down and do push-ups. Push-ups. And I remember in basic training, we just did push-ups like crazy. And we, we very like quickly realized, like working with our drill sergeants, that we weren't going to be able to please these guys, right? They were going to like set this bar really high and like set this standard that we wouldn't be able to reach. And over and over again, they were just gonna be like, 
do push-ups, do push-ups. I remember another thing they would have us do, probably the, the thing I like disliked the most about my basic training was they did wall locker inspections, okay? So we had these things called wall lockers, which were basically just like big lockers like you'd have at school. We slept in bunks. There'd be like one person on top, one person on the bottom in our barracks. And then we're beside the bunks, we had these wall lockers against the wall. And those stored like everything we owned for basic training. So our uniforms were in there, our boots were in there, like everything we owned was in there. And what they would do is they would give us hours and hours and hours to get ready for these inspections. So we'd have to take all of our uniforms, we'd have to like, <clears throat> we'd have to press our uniforms or iron our uniforms, I think it was the first time in my life I'd ever ironed anything. Like pressing all of our uniforms, getting them like absolutely perfect, hanging them up on co-hangers, putting them in the lockers, and then everything in there had to be perfect, like your socks had to be rolled a very specific way, your t-shirts had to be rolled a very specific way. Spend all this time and energy on it, and then the drill sergeants would come in, and you'd have to like stand at attention like in front of your wall locker, and they would come along and they would inspect like each one of the wall lockers to see if you like pass or failed inspection. And this is how it went. They would go up to the first person, the person that their last name started with A, they were doing everything in alphabetical order, and they would look in their wall locker and they would fail. And then they go to the next person and they would fail. <laughs> All the way through like the entire company, like everybody would fail over and over and over again. And you, we just like quickly realized like, man, we're never going to be able to, like, please these drill sergeants. So kind of my attitude with it was, I was like, look, like, if I, if I can't please you, if you're never going to be happy with me no matter what I can do, why don't you just, like, give me the punishment ahead of time? Like, if i got to do push-ups, just, just tell me how many push-ups. I'll just, I'll just do them and I'll get them out of the way, right? So that, that's kind of, like, my experience a little bit with the military. When, it, when that happens, it, like, becomes, like, about the activities and not like about the relationship. And in the military, to get a great job, they were like, they were doing their job, doing what they're supposed to do. But I think what happens a lot of times, because maybe our upbringing or our like religious background, maybe the church we grew up in, maybe the religious organizations we've been a part of or been around, what happens, we, we sometimes like tend to view God as this drill sergeant in heaven, right? He's like, he's like this mean drill sergeant in heaven who's looking down from heaven, like trying to inspect us. Right, he's looking down and he's saying, like, man, what can I find? Like, how can I find ways you're failing? How can I find all the ways you're messing up? And how can I, like, point those out to you and punish you for them, right? And we get this, we get this picture that God is almost like this sadistic, like, God who's, like, setting the bar, like, way too high that we can never achieve it. And he's just almost, like, out to get us and we're never going to be able to please him. But when we look at the Bible the picture we see of God in the Bible, like what like he had written for us, is the picture of like a perfect, loving, heavenly father who's actually like rooting for us, who's on our side. It's very different than we tend to think of him sometimes. When I was about, when I was about 12 years old or so, I remember looking through a bunch of my parents' pictures. So I don't know if you guys were like me, but at our house, we didn't, we didn't have digital photography at the time, right? So there was we had a lot of pictures, a lot of old pictures. So we had some of them in photo albums, but what happened was there was always this like great, one great big, like huge flat rectangle box that was underneath my parents' bed. I don't know if you guys like that or not. And it just was full of like hundreds and hundreds of pictures from my family, different things like that. And I remember one day, I was just kind of like, I was about 12 years old looking through my parents' pictures and I came across this picture of me and I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. But it was kind of like a really old picture, you know? And I'm looking at this picture, and I'm on it. I'm probably five years old, and I'm riding a horse. And I'm like, that's weird. I don't remember. That's, like, that's me in the picture, but I don't remember riding a horse when I was five years old. Maybe I was just too little, didn't remember, you know? And then I saw the picture was in front of this house. 
and I, I didn't recognize the house either. I'm like, that's weird. I don't remember being on a horse when I was five. I don't remember like seeing that house before either. So I went to my dad. I was like, hey, dad, um, I, found, I found this picture when I was looking through our pictures of this old picture of me, and it was black and white too. So I was like, man, I'm not, I don't think I'm that old. I don't think I'm like so old that they like didn't have color photography at the time. And I brought the picture to him like, dad, like I found this picture, but I don't recognize you kind of like helped me understand this. And he's like, oh, son. He's like, Caleb, that, that's actually not a picture of you. That's a picture of me when I was a boy. And I was like, oh, man, that is, that is crazy, Dad. Like, I look exactly like you. Like, the Nichols family genes are strong, right? <laughs> like, I, I look exactly like you do. Like, I'm, I'm like in your spinning image, people will say, or something. I look, I look like just like my father. I think, it's, I think it's very interesting how, like, God created us like that, that we tend to reflect our parents. You know what I mean? I just wanted to, I wanted to pop a couple pictures up right here on the screen and just show you some of my kids real quick, just my two boys. Uh, so the first one here, this is, our, this is our son, Josiah. He's four years old. He's on the right, isn't he? Isn't he a cute little boy? That's Josiah. <clears throat> and on the left, that's actually me when I was about Josiah's age. Isn't that crazy? I'm like, man, we look like twins. I was actually cute at one time, believe it or not. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's just interesting how, like, my son Josiah reflects me in a similar way that I reflect my father, and also my father reflects, like, his father before him, right? And then the next picture here is my son Levi. So that's Levi on the right. See his Pokemon shirt there? He loves Pokemon. That was the last birthday we had for him. He turned six years old, and he got a ton, ton of Pokemon stuff. That's Levi. And then on the left is me when I was a kid at Christmas time opening presents, and very important, too, do you, see what I, do you see what I got for a present there? That's laser tag, if you can't read it. That's, so I had good parents, because they gave me laser tag, right? So that's, <clears throat> that's my son Levi, and that's me. I just think it's, like, very, very fascinating. And I think it's, I don't, I don't even know how to, like, fully explain it or describe it. But there's just something, like, very cool and very amazing. When I look at my children, and I see how they, like, reflect me, or they're, like, made in my image, that makes me love them more you know? And it, you can't even, like, quite describe why that is. And, and I see them, and I'm, like, so proud of them just because they're in my image, just because they look like me, they reflect my, like me. They tend to, like, like the things they like and do the things I do and talk the way I talk and something like that. So it's just, like, really, really, really cool. And then one last picture I want to show you guys. Is this a picture of my dad, Dave Nichols? He goes out to the Norton campus, actually, him and his wife. That's my dad on the left, and then my son Levi on the right when he's a little bit younger. And I just, I just think this picture is cool. I know you can't see their faces, but I just love like how much, like how much they look alike and how much they reflect each other. So you can see they're, they're holding hands and they're, they're even in step with each other. You know, and they're walking out. This is uh, behind my dad's house. They have a big field out in like Sterling, Ohio. And I just, I just love seeing that picture and seeing how like even my son reflects my father. It's like a, it's like a grandpa and his grandson, you know. And it, it's just, like, amazing when I see my children, like, as a, as a loving father, right? I don't just, like, love my kids. I, I actually like them. You know, like, I like, I like spending time with them. I, it's not like I tolerate them, but I, I enjoy being around them. I enjoy just, like, watching them grow and mature and, like, face the challenges of life. And I think it's, I think it's very similar with our relationship with God, right? He doesn't, he doesn't just love us. He actually likes us. God doesn't just love us, he actually likes us. And I know that can sound like simplistic, but I know, I know for me, I grew up in a pretty healthy church and I heard all the time that this idea that God loves me, right? He loves me, but, 
But the way I translated that for some reason was, yeah, he like, he loves me because he has to, he's God. You know, that's like, that's like what he has to do. But I think he just kind of like tolerates me. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't think that's actually true because we're like made in the image of God. We're created in God's image to reflect him in a similar way as like a parent would see their child and just love them and be proud of them and enjoy being around them because they're their children. It's the same way as like God interacts with us. And I want us to look at this passage in Genesis chapter one. We're gonna look at verses 26 and 27. You can go there on your phones or if you have a Bible. And it's, uh, it's actually Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. So just open up your Bibles to the first few pages there. You'll see Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27. And I just wanna set us up a little bit so if, you, if it's been a while since you've read Genesis chapter 1, or if you've never read it before, I'll just give you a little bit of the storyline what's happening. Genesis chapter 1 is about like the creation of everything we see. We call it like the creation story, right? So when you look around, like all the things that we see around the world, and like the moon and the sun and the stars and all the animals and the plants and everything, what we see in Genesis chapter 1, we see it like broken down into the creation account. It talks about what God did on each day. So there was six days when God was creating things. And basically, we won't, we won't spend a whole lot of time to go into all of it. Basically, what God did is he formed, <clears throat> he took the earth and he like formed the earth. He separated the waters from the land, made like the oceans and the streams and the lakes and then also the dry land. And then he filled all of those things. So he filled the dry land with plants and animals. So you think of all, all like the things we eat that come from the ground, like things that grow on trees, like apples and oranges and all those things, then things that grow out of the ground. And then he also made all of, the, all of the animals too that go along the earth. So like, just think of any animal you can think of when you go to the zoo or anything like that. God created all of that. He created all like the fish in the sea and the whales and the dolphins. Then he created like the birds in the sky. And just like think of everything he did in creation. So you think of, I think of things like the Grand Canyon. Just these like unbelievable amazing, like indescribable things, like the Grand Canyon or like huge mountain ranges or like the ocean. When you sit on the beach and you, you literally can't see the end of it, you know, just like these huge, magnificent things. And then even, I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience, but have you ever been like camping or been out away from like, like the light pollution and you look up into the sky and you see like everything. It's all, it's all like much clearer than it tends to be in cities. And you see all of the stars and you see the moon. You can even maybe like make out some of the planets or some of the constellations, and you think just how, like, big it is. You know, we're, we're sitting on Earth, which, like, seems big, and then you look up at the galaxies, and you're like, man, like, what I'm seeing now, I'm, we must, this must be kind of small compared to what's out there. And then scientists now, they're trying to kind of, like, find the ends, like, the ends of the galaxies, and they haven't done it yet. With all, like, the telescopes and with all the different things they have, they literally can't find an end to it. And you think about all of these things, these like amazing things that God created through the first like six days of creation. It's really interesting because the last thing he did, like at the very end of creation, before, after making all these amazing things, is he created human beings. He created like you and I, I would say is like the crowning jewel of all creation. So like, he had all these amazing things he created for us to enjoy. And the very last thing he did is he created us and he created us differently than the rest of his creation. He created us in his image. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, says this. Then God said, let us make mankind, that's just human beings, that's people, in our image, 
in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So God created us as like the crowning jewel of all creation. He did it, he made us like in his image. So in a similar way, as a child like reflects their parents, like reflects their mother and father. That's like a similar thing God did with us. So God created us to like reflect him, to think like him, to act like him, to talk like him. And because of that, because we're created in his image, like when we're his children, I think he views us like a healthy father would view a child or a healthy mother would view a child. It's just so different than this idea of like a drill sergeant in heaven who's like trying to look for all the things that we're messing up. He's a loving father who actually wants what's best for us. I want us to look at another, another passage in Matthew chapter three, verses 16 and 17. It's Matthew chapter three, verses 16 and 17. That's the first book in the New Testament, kind of on the right side of your Bibles. Matthew three, <clears throat> what's happening in this passage is um, Jesus has come down from earth. He was born of the Virgin Mary, right? And he was getting ready to start like his earthly ministry. So we see Jesus healing people and teaching people and all these things. He's getting ready to start that. And the first thing he does is he goes, one of the first things he does, he goes to this person named John the Baptist, who the Bible says was, was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. He goes to John the Baptist and what he does is he has John the Baptist baptize him. So that's kind of like where we're picking up the story is when Jesus is baptized, and it says this in verse 16, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. So John the Baptist, he baptizes Jesus, and then Jesus is coming up out of the water, and it says at that moment, so like right then when Jesus came up out of the water, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God. So think about that for a second. Trying to like picture, I don't know exactly what it would look like, but John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus, he brings him up out of the water and then all of a sudden heaven opens. Imagine that, that'd be, that'd be interesting. And somehow, for just a few moments there, there's this like open communication between heaven and earth. And God the Father looks down, he says, we saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him or, or like lighting up Jesus. Think of the idea of a spotlight on Jesus. And it says, and a voice from heaven said, this is God speaking, he said, this is my son. So God the Father is looking down at the sun and he said, this is my son. He's, he's kind of like laying claim to him. He's like, that's my boy. That's my boy right there. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So God the Father is looking down at the sun and he's saying, that's my son. And I love him and I'm pleased with what he's doing. I'm pleased with him, right? And it's interesting because the Bible talks about this idea. It says that Jesus is the firstborn among the believers, so like he's like the first one. He's like the first child of God. And because of his sacrifice for us, we also become the children of God. So the same way that God like views his son Jesus is the same way he views us if we're his children, if we're his followers. So I, I really believe that if we're followers of Jesus and we've like surrendered the control and direction of our lives to Christ, what happens is we don't have this like sadistic drill sergeant up in heaven looking down trying to like get us we have our heavenly father up in heaven looking down and seeing us just like he, says, he sees Jesus, right? So think about that. God is looking down and he's looking at you and he's saying, hey, you're my son. He's like laying claim to you. He's like, that's, that's my boy right there. You're my son. 
and I, and I love you. I'm like your heavenly father and I love you. I'm not out to get you. And when you like do your best to like try and please me and try and follow you, I'm actually proud of you. I'm proud of you when you do it. And then the same thing for like any, any women in the room. If you're like a follower of Jesus, right? He's, God the Father's looking down and he's saying, you're my daughter whom I love. You know, I, I created you. I made you just like you are. And I'm, I'm pleased with you when you try and like follow me and do your best. And I, I just think of the idea of like a, <clears throat> like a parent rooting for their child, right? So you think of, of like a baseball game maybe, right? And like you have, you have a loving father at a baseball game and his little boy's son's baseball game. And he's watching him play. And maybe he's like the personality where he's like super outgoing, super excited. And he's standing up and he's like screaming as loud as he can. Like, yeah, that's my boy. Yeah, and he's getting ready for him to go up to bat. Or you might have like the personality type, the loving father who's, who's maybe a little more like shy and reserved. And what he's probably doing, he's probably sitting in his chair when his son's up to bat. And he's like gripping his chair very, very tightly because he's nervous for his son. Right, but see that, that loving father like in that moment what does he want? He doesn't, he doesn't like want his son to screw up. He wants his son to actually like swing and hit the ball. He's rooting for him. He's rooting for him to succeed in the same way that our heavenly father is like rooting for us and he's on our side. I also think of the idea of um, like a father when his, his daughter's like first dance comes up, right? So maybe she has her first like school dance, right? And she's like up at the top of the stairs and you know, she's been with her mom or whoever and she's like, done her makeup and done her hair and has her dress on, right? And she's like coming down, like descending the stairs. And the father is sitting at the bottom of the steps and he's looking up and there's just like this overwhelming like pride and joy that the father has in his daughter, right? Has, has, actually has nothing to do with anything, like any performance or anything like that. He loves her simply because she's his daughter, right? And she's like made in his image. The same thing, with how God views us. God isn't out to get us. He's not trying to trick us. Um, and we don't have to like earn his love and affection. We have it already because we're his children. And guys, I, I think of like, of my children, right? And they're, and they're young. So we have, a, we have a seven-year-old daughter, six-year-old son, four-year-old son, and an 18-month-old daughter. I think I, I, think I got that right. And... Um, I, like, love them, like, beyond description, right? And I'm, I'm, I feel, like, so blessed that God has given us this gift, and I get, I get to be a father. But, you know, I'm, I'm realistic, too, and I, I know that they're going to be teenagers someday, right? So, like, right now, I, they think I'm, like, the coolest thing in the world. They think I'm the strongest guy in the world. They think I'm the smartest guy in the world. And they're kind of in for a rude awakening on that as they get a little bit older, right? Um, but I, I know that there's going to be a time when they're going to be teenagers, Right? And they're going to they're gonna like start making their own decisions and they're going to be young adults. And I, I just know, I know how the world works. I know that they're going to like disappoint me in some ways. I just, you know, it's normal. It's a natural part of life. I know that I have expectations for my children that I want to see them like attain. And I know they're going to like fall short of those expectations, right? It's like part of, part of human life. It's part of all of our stories, right? I know, I know they're going to sin and I know all those things are going to happen. But man, when I, when I look at my children, when I look at my two boys and my two girls, man, there's, there's nothing they could ever do that would like cause me to love them less, right? Like no, no sin they could, could commit, no like shortcoming, no fail they could have that would ever cause me to like turn my back on them and not love them anymore.
because I'm, I'm their father and they're my children. Like, I'll always be there for them. And it's, it's the same thing with us and God, right? But it's like, it's so hard to like wrap our minds around, you know? And, and God like loves us like despite of the ways we've messed up. So like if we're his followers, right, we're going to mess up in life. So maybe it might be helpful if you like even think about like some of the worst things you've done in life. Like some of the, some of the biggest mistakes you've made. Maybe, maybe the things like no one else knows about. Or if other people knew about it, you'd be like, really, really embarrassed that you did that you did that thing, right? Like, God knows about that, but he doesn't love you, like, any less because you're his children. He's never going to walk away from you. And I love these next verses we're going to look at. It's in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. These are written by the Apostle Paul. And if you don't know much about the Apostle Paul, I'll just give you a real, like, short recap of him. He was actually a guy that was going around like for a living, for his job. He was going out and like persecuting Christians and like overseeing the killing of Christians before he met Jesus. So think about like some of the guilt this guy would have struggled with, right? He was like literally trying to get rid of Christianity before he met Jesus and then his life turned around. And this is what he says when he's talking about how much God loves us. Romans 8 verses 31 through 39 says this. Paul writes this. What then... Shall we say in response to these things? And it, he, he comes with a bunch of rhetorical questions, a bunch of questions that actually we know the answer to. He says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Like the answer is no one. He who did not spare his own son, so God the Father gave his son, but gave him up for us all, give up Jesus for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Another rhetorical question. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? The answer, nobody. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So, so picture that. Up in heaven, there's God the Father and there's Jesus the Son. And it says Jesus is interceding for us. He's like the mediator. He's, he's the go-between. And what he does he looks at his father and he says, Father, I want, you to, I want you to look at them. I want you to look at us through me, right? Because of my sacrifice, I've covered their sins and I want you to see them through my righteousness. So that's how, that's how the father sees us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Of course, the answer is no one, nothing. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I love these last two verses. It says this, for I am convinced, Paul's convinced, he's, he's like totally believes this with every part of him. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul's saying, look, like it, it doesn't matter. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a child of God, you cannot be separated from his love. He won't walk away from you. And I'm sure Paul, when he wrote that, he was thinking back to the things he did. He had to be thinking back to when he had like overseen the killing of Christians. When he was trying to like get rid of Christianity, he's struggling with that, with that guilt. 
You know, but nothing we've done in our past, like nothing, no, no shortcomings, this same we're, we're currently involved in, and like nothing we could ever do in the future could ever separate us from God's love if we're his followers, if we're his children. It's just this like beautiful, amazing thing from our loving Heavenly Father. Guys, we don't, we don't need to earn God's love. Sometimes we can feel like we have to earn God's love. We actually have it already. It, like God's love is not something we're out trying to get. We don't need to earn God's love. He's already given it to us. Like the most popular verse in the whole Bible is John 3.16. You see it plastered all over at baseball games and football games and all over the place. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? He's like the first mover. God loved us first. For God so loved the world, that's why he sent Jesus for us. I just like love that picture of God as like a heavenly father. But man, it's like, it's hard to believe it sometimes. You know, I, like in my brain, I can be like, yeah, God's, God's like my heavenly father who loves me. But it's hard for me to like take that and believe it sometimes. A song that, that really helps me with this, I want us to close a little bit differently today. I'm gonna kind of go through the lyrics of a song before the band comes out. There's a song called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And we're gonna, we're gonna pop it up on the screen. I'm sure a lot of you have probably heard it before. But I just want us to take a little bit of time and just think through these words. So as I read them, just think about it. And I'd encourage you, even like let yourself like feel the song a little bit more, more than just in your mind. The song says this. It says, how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. It can't even be measured. The Father's love is so big and so great, you can't even measure it. That he should give his only son to make a wretch, that's us, that's you and me, his treasure. I love that. How great the pain of searing loss. Listen to this part. The Father turns his face away. So the loving Father up in heaven is looking at his son Jesus, and we just read that he loves him, right? And he actually, because he's bearing our sin, the Father up in heaven actually had to turn his, way, his face away from his son when he was dying on the cross. He was bearing that penalty for our sin. The Father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. That's us, sons and daughters to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath, the last breath Jesus breathed, has brought me life, that's spiritual life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? It's like dumbfounding. Why should I gain from what Jesus, the price he paid. I cannot give an answer. I can't even give an answer to it. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. They've paid the debt that I owe. Man, just like thinking about the cost that the father paid. You know, seeing his son like take our sin and die for us, just like amazing. If, think about that. If God the father up in heaven like would give his only son for us, how much must he love us? Man, he must love us a lot, you know. He, he did like the most radical thing he could do for us. The biggest expression of love ever. He gave his son for us. And what's amazing about that, that song, that song is like pretty blunt about 
like the ways I've screwed up, the ways you've screwed up, and how it's actually because of us that Jesus had to die. But when I like read that song, and when I hear that song, and, and when I sing that song, it actually doesn't make me feel guilty, you know? It actually makes me feel the love of God, just like this amazing, indescribable thing. So, perfect, loving Heavenly Father who loves us, he's not out to get us, he's not inspecting us, he's actually like on our side rooting for us. All right, let me pray for us as the band comes out.